Hey, welcome to another episode of Cloud Unplugged. My guest today is Rafe Colburn, the Chief Product and Technology Officer at Depop. In this episode, Rafe and I talk about what the CPTO role means in a company like Depop, when it makes sense to have one, and how in being the VP of Engineering at Etsy helps him avoid some of the pitfalls of measuring engineering productivity. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, great to have you on. Um, it would be really good just to hear a bit about yourself and your background and the role you're doing. And then um, we'll probably start talking about your role um, and how that's come about and dig into that and then probably develop a productivity, which is something we were, we were speaking about and then just see where the conversation takes us. Great, think, great. Yeah. Exciting. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start at the beginning a bit go fast. So yeah, probably I've probably been building things on the web online, you know, for close to three decades. I started in like 1995. I briefly worked for Netscape, the company that made the web browser. Uh, and then we can fast forward, you know, did a bunch of, did a bunch of web development and app development stuff. Uh, and then I started working at Etsy in 2012 uh, and started their data engineering team, which I did for uh, five or six years. And then from there, moved into product engineering and kind of moved up along the way. So, you know, manager, senior manager, director. Uh, and then, you know, probably nine years in, uh, I was a VP of engineering and I worked on marketing technology and we have an ad product that I managed uh, and, and a couple of other teams. Uh, and Etsy bought Depop. So, um, that was July 2021. Um, and then not long after the acquisition, they asked me and three other people who worked at Etsy to kind of consult with Depop part-time to kind of look at their annual plan for the next year, help to help out, you know, maybe give them some ideas. It's a similar kind of marketplace about things that drove growth for Etsy. Uh, and, uh, and probably a few months into doing that, uh, I was asked to take over as chief product officer and moved to London. I had lived in New York. So I came over as chief product officer for... Gosh, about a year, uh, uh, Depop's CEO left. Our CEO came over. She was the chief product officer of Etsy. And then uh, a few months after she started, our CTO had to had to leave for personal reasons, nothing bad. Uh, and uh, and she asked me to take over as chief product and technology officer. And so that's what I've been doing for the bulk of this year is that is that combined role. And how are you finding the role? Because it's quite unusual. I mean, we've, we, we, we were speaking about this before on like, um, you don't see many companies combine the role. Yep. Obviously, you normally have um, the what and the how are normally yep. like separated out. Yep. Like somebody kind of defines what chief product officer, the how that's going to then be done technically is then kind of split underneath. Yep. Have you found it? Does it work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Working well? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so so I think like it's a it's a product of circumstance in many ways. You know, I'd, I'd known our, our CEO for a long time. Uh, and of course, you know, the other, the other weird piece about it maybe was that even though I came over as chief product officer for Depop, I'd worked in engineering essentially my whole career. Mm-hmm. I'd done producty things. I'd been a consultant before and done some other things, but I'd never like been a, a proper product manager. Uh, and so because my background was really technical when our CTO left, you know, it wasn't like a weird idea for me to take over the CTO role. Yeah. The weirder part was probably me being the chief product officer alone for a year. Uh, and I think overall, you know, your question was, does it work? Uh, I think so. I think it, I think it uh, you know, I really enjoy it. It's fun to kind of get to wear both hats. Like there are so many problems that 
uh, happened at the intersection of engineering and product. And so sort of getting to work those out in my head has been nice um, and interesting. I think one of the first things I realized when I took on the role was, you know, those problems that happened at the intersection, like what really limited our ability to, to engage with them was the sort of amount of time that I spent with the CTO. You know, we had a one-on-one -on -one every week of an hour. We had a list of things to talk about. And everything that, was on, that wasn't on that list that involved product and engineering, we just never worked on together because right. it never made it onto the list. And so I can at least think about all the product and engineering things, which, uh, which uh, you know, I think can be a lot at times. But, uh, but like having sort of one master list of priorities, I think, is, is, uh, is good. When you were, when the roles were kind of split and you were obviously see like basically working on product and working on the technology side yeah and in some ways you're kind of looking at your laundry lists yeah of like constraints and needs yep from both sides um since you've joined like since you can see both sides now yeah of your on your own account as in you can ask questions maybe yep. that you might not have thought to even ask yes yeah yeah because you weren't owning the, that space so the amount of cognitive effort you might spend on it when it's not yours yep it's probably less whereas now it's is your space <laughs> right 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 <laughs> you've got to think about things a lot because you're like okay i really need to like own this now i've got, yep. I've got I, I need to take accountability for it has that raised a lot more um i guess strategic decision making that's kind of changed once you started to own it where you're like actually now i can prioritize things differently to maybe how we were and i think yes for sure and, and it's really funny actually uh our old cto uh also was from etsy and we'd worked together kind of as peers for a long time probably four or five years and uh and so when he came over as cto i really tried to stay in my lane mm -hmm. like i sort of like cultivated a disinterest in what was going on in engineering just because i didn't want to be that super annoying person who's like oh yeah, yeah i was talking to one of your reports the other day and they said that we're doing this with whatever with the database i don't think i would do it that way you know just like <laughs> yeah. like you know that's not a fun job for him uh and so so i had sort of uh you know not you know it sort of potentially like put on the blinders and said i'm really going to focus on product of course the other side is i had not been a cpo before and you know, I felt like one of the failure modes is I get distracted by engineering and I don't focus on being a good CPO. So, yeah. so, uh, but for sure, you know, once the, uh, you know, once he left and I took over both sides of it, the floodgates definitely opened and it's like, okay, you know, yeah, it, it's, it is that constraint thing, which is like, what's the constraint that's keeping us from achieving what we need to achieve? Mm. Is it a kind of engineering constraint? Is it an org structure constraint? Is it a, is it a like product goals constraint? And so I think, uh, yeah, it is fun to kind of get to look at the whole set and say, uh, you know, what's the, you know, how, what is the big priority for us, and and uh, you know, how do we how do we get people to work together to kind of like uh, to kind of make progress on whatever the kind of biggest impediments or the biggest opportunities are. Mm, and, when, and when you were, because I guess from especially for the business you're in, um, the data side is going to drive decision making or should at least inform yep. direction. Um, when you're obviously the chief product officer there's then a, once you realize like what it is you're trying to do then you're also then stretching into the engineering mind of like but how do we know yeah. we've been successful with this um and then you get into the data side like well, what's going to tell me that and yep. then then you get into the technology aspect of well, what can even yeah. tell me that right <laughs> right so, right um as that's as that inf is that enforced kind of like strategic technological decisions being made by yourself and being involved in that yeah um or like 
I don't know, the data warehousing aspect or where the data is going and all those types of things. Yeah. Um, has that been a part of it or not? Or? Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, one thing's for sure that I sort of think of everything like an engineer, like whether it's the org structure or, you know, it's like they're all systems. Does the system work well together? What are the kind of like bugs in the system that keep things from happening? You know, and, and I try and take a, a dispassionate view of the product in some ways. I am passionate about the product, but, you know, I try and be very objective about it. does it work or not? Can we measure whether it works? Totally agree with that. And like, and I do think it's like very engineer brain yeah, yeah. Um, uh, or analytical brain. I think, uh, you know, and it's funny, I, one of the things that was, that was there, were two, there was one thing that was really hard for me when I got to Depop, both as CPO and even into the CPTO role, and that was, I think it turns out in an organization, you know, data engineering is really an important function, you know, and, and I think I knew that when I ran it, but I really found out what I didn't anymore when I moved to another company, because, you know, because I had, and because my team, my data engineering team was the first real data engineering team Etsy had, like, we built so many of the foundational systems that Etsy uses for analytics or for, or for uh, you know, business reporting or for some of these other things. And so for really my entire time, like I could look at any graph and say, I know exactly where that data comes from. You know, and I know what the flaws with it are or whatever else. And I went to Depop and everything's built differently. I didn't know it. And like, you know, I would look at a dashboard in Looker and I'd be like, is this data right? Where did it come <laughs> from? How do I know? What are the typical problems with this data? You know, and so, so that was actually a hard part, not, not, I think two things. One, not necessarily always having confidence in the data, and the other was not really knowing how to gain confidence in the data. Because the other thing is, like, I could go in the data warehouse myself at Etsy and like run my own queries. But of course, I, yeah, I you, you know, didn't do that at Depop, <laughs> and like learning how to do that would not have been, I think, the best use of my time. And so, so yeah, for sure, that was that was a big change for me. And so, and so even now. You know, and I think I think now the risk is like I want these things to be good, but they don't have to fit my mental model of good. You know, of course my bias would be just build it like I like it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah. but it just has to work. It doesn't have to work exactly the way I would like or expect. And uh, so so when you were taking, I guess with the, with the Depop element and then the new role, um, and all the different, I guess tooling choices mm -hmm. and what you'd inherited and have has things. Did you just kind of leave things be and you're just like, okay, we're kind of like just two separate businesses and that's fine yep or is it like have you tried to integrate no i know what you're saying like so the good news i think for us at least is there's kind of no pressure from etsy to make things consistent and, and so much so that etsy runs on google cloud uh, uh depop runs on aws and so that's a big separation right there and then uh you know etsy has a very very monolithic architecture for its core systems uh even now uh, kind of famously so, Depop uh, has mostly a microservices architecture, although we do have an, an old like monolithic application that a lot of the key data is still in. Uh, and so I, I sort of felt no real urge to make it more Etsy-like. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are many great things about Etsy, but like Etsy has been on path A and Depop has been on path B and trying to like shove everything onto yeah. path A would be a big waste of time. And then even beyond that, uh, do you not find though it, it like accidentally biasing for things you knew? I guess because when you know when, when you like you were just saying before in the example, you like you know how to get an answer to something. Yep. Because you understand like what's being built and why it's been. Yeah. You've got, yeah, you've got the context yeah. of the why. Yeah. Behind what's there, and then you've kind of inherited something else, and you don't know why it's been built the way that it is, or yeah. why those things are there, and then obviously you might bias and be like, well. This just isn't acceptable. Like, it's yeah. more like this. Yeah. I mean? <laughs> no, for sure. I think, I think, 
I'm sure that creeps in. I try not. I try not to let it creep in, but it for sure does. And I think, I think probably the place where it might intrude the most is where we're missing a capability that Etsy has. Yeah. And so I'm like, why don't we have this capability? Etsy had this capability, you know. And <laughs> you know, and, and I, the other thing is like, you know, I've had people start from other companies before, and all they talk about is their old company. And so I also just almost have like a little alarm that goes off in my head every time I start a sentence with at Etsy, you know, <laughs> at, at Etsy, we track these metrics this way. At Etsy, we, you know, our, our whatever, we use Kafka for this at Etsy, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, nobody yeah. really cares, you know, and so I need to make a, you know, a, a, you know, people I fortunately no one has really gotten mad at me about it, but I do, I do try and avoid it and I do hear myself saying it. So you're watching the eye roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> That's right. I'm allowed one sentence, a long story about Etsy. It's just like, why is this guy talking about this again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And how, how did you find then um, the shift from engineering into product and then now product back into engineering? Because the skills you learned, did you, did you have like designers use like and researchers and things like that as part of the team when you were in product as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole, yeah, the the whole, whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think. Because uh, that's a uh, shift, isn't it? It really, really yeah. is a shift, you know, and, and, and I think. Uh, yeah, user researchers, product marketing managers, uh, which it's funny, like that, actually the one that was the hardest for me was product marketing. I didn't even know what they did. You know, I'd worked <laughs> with a few product marketers at Etsy and actually it's a great role. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised like many CEOs don't come from that role. It's a really, really a, a good one. But I was like, boy, I need to learn about this. I think, uh, you know, one thing that helped me out was having a, a good background in analytics and, and that sort of thing. And so like, you know, that was a place where it, like, at least I understand how to do goal setting for product. The other thing that helped me out a little bit was uh, I sort of showed up right at the end of their annual planning cycle. And so I didn't have to run annual planning as a brand new CPO and take everybody through it. I could say like, okay, you have your Q1 plans and your plans for the year. And I'm not going to fiddle with them too much while I get to know everybody and figure out what we're doing. You know, maybe two other things. The other one was, uh, we had another person from Etsy. She was just, her name's Sonia. She was just coming off um, uh, parental leave. And, um, and uh, Kruthi, who's now our CEO, but was our CPO at Etsy at the time, said, hey, do you want her to like help you out at Depop for a few months? Uh, you, know, she's, you know, she's not assigned to a team because she's just coming off parental leave or whatever. And um, very, very experienced PM. And she was just incredibly helpful. You know, I kind of brought her in as the PM coach, helped coach the team, helped coach me on product stuff. I was super transparent about that. And so just having that second set of eyes who could, you know, talk about our processes and help me figure out what was going on. She wound up coming over full time, which is great. But in those early days, you know, it was really, it was really nice to have somebody who could be a little bit of an independent voice and like, tell me if what I was saying actually made sense, you know, and be honest about it. Um, so I think, I think all that was really good. And I think the last one that sort of made it not kind of a big joke to be CPO was uh, I was just always a very product minded engineering leader. Like, you know, I think, I think that maybe comes from working in infrastructure and sort of having to wear both hats where, okay, what capabilities do we need to build in data engineering? Like who's the product manager? Sort of me, you know, you don't need to warehouse data this way or that way. And so, uh, yeah, I really cared about the product goals and I want to understand them. And so it wasn't like, uh, I was never that like, just tell me what we need to build engineering <laughs> leader. I was always, I was always kind of why, why this, not that, is it really going to work? So, yeah, actually, I, um, the like product and product marketing, I kind of feel like almost, especially from your background from engineering, <laughs> they're like the, the data behind marketing 
which yeah. is really like quite important. Like other things is quite similar in some ways to product. Mm. Um, and like other things I'm doing even working. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the empathy for the customer, like yep. the persona, the language you're using, how do they speak about this problem? How do they identify with that problem? Um, because you were doing products, I imagine wasn't massive in the end. I don't know, I'm speaking on your behalf. Did you find it, like once you wrapped your head around it all and understood the role, did you find it more naturally fitting because you had all those other things there? Or was um, it still a bit like... I think, you know, the thing I liked about it when I got into it, and I didn't realize until I started was, I think, you know, when you, like by the time I was a VP of engineering at Etsy, like generally what would happen is, you know, I would, I would, I moved around a fair amount to teams uh, across different teams when I, for my last couple of years there. And generally what would happen is I'd need to be really hands-on on certain teams that were struggling, get things sorted out, set good goals, figure out what we need to do to succeed, hire a director, get the director to set up for success. And they kind of ran on its own, mm. you know, and, and when you're and when you're in that state where you kind of have your directors or whichever level in place and it kind of runs on its own, what I found is like, boy, engineering management is really about management. You know, we have 14 roles to fill across these five teams. Can, do we, can, can we do the recruiting thing? We have, you know, 20 engineering managers across all my teams. Are they all doing a good job? Like, have to work with HR. Uh, and I think it's – and it can be true for CTOs as well. A lot of times engineering is the biggest group at a tech company. Yeah. And so a lot of it is just, is just all of that stuff. And so getting into product is like, boy, what are we going to build is like every single level of product. You're still engaged in that kind of more of almost individual contributor type role where you're yeah, trying the to ideation figure out. Aspect yeah, of the yeah. Oops. Yeah, the, creat the yeah. creative side of like the ideation. Button. Yeah. So you still yeah. felt like you were contributing value in the yeah. process of creating something. Yeah. And it was just kind yeah. of fun to go back and like say, okay, you know, what do our customers need? What can we really build? You know, I think in engineering management, sometimes you can get away from that a little bit. And mm. so, so that was a fun part of being in, Interesting, yeah. in, in product. And of course, like, if you can pull it off in product as an engineer, it's fun because you do know how things get built. Like a lot of times, I think the hard part for product managers is like, is this easy or hard? I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. when you, let's talk to an engineer, but I kind of know at least <laughs> for most things. So oh, you'll know the right questions to ask. Yeah, exactly. I exactly. suppose to like get a measure of like, did that, should that really take that long? That seemed <laughs> really long. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Or what if we just did this other thing instead? Oh, that takes half as long. Great. Yeah. Well, let's do the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a massive advantage. And then we actually um, mentioned, we're, we're, we're obviously chatting before about like, the risk, I suppose, of joining the roles, would you, like, what types of companies would you yeah. expect to find this role in? Like a yeah. joint chief yeah. product and technological officer? Like, yeah, I, I don't know how you would approach it, but I guess there's the there's the trust and risk yep. of the business. Yeah. And then there's the, I guess, the aptitude and the understanding of the business to become that role. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah. So maybe we'll talk about a little bit of those things. I think one thing is, you know, to the extent that I'm successful in this role, probably one of the biggest reasons is, you know, Depop is very similar to Etsy in terms of the, it's a consumer marketplace, lots of small sellers. And I was in that business for 10 years. And so I have a lot of domain knowledge of that kind of business. Yeah. I think if someone said, hey, do you want to be the CPTO of a SaaS company that does something completely different? It probably would be really hard because, you know, when you know what kind of product it is, it's a little bit easier to be a product manager than coming in cold and not knowing the product space. So I think I think that probably was a is a is a factor. I think, you know, going to the to the like risk side, you know, I mean, it's kind of like imagine being a CEO and you say, boy, I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to hire this person. And, you know, we're a tech company and uh, 
you know, what we build determines our success as a business. And so I'm going to put it one person in charge of all of it. Like, yeah. like that, I mean, I think to any CEO that would feel really risky. Um, and so I think a lot of times that maybe I was talking earlier, like, I think you see it happen, happen at either struggling companies. So it's like, boy, we need one person to fix it. Let's put them in charge of all of it. I've seen that. Yeah. Fast or decision like, making. Yeah. Autonomy. Exactly. Exactly. You like, actually, yeah, it's like, it's an emergency. We need one person in charge in an emergency. and get yeah. things done. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's one. I think the other one is that sort of like job for a, a co-founder or, or really longtime employee kind of case. You're kind of a lifer and you know the business really well. You know, and I think in my case, it was maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of an emergency situation. Since we really wanted to grow, we wanted to streamline things. I had already been there. You know, do you say, okay, we're going to go hire a new CTO. That'll take months. They're going to come in and they're going to have ideas. They're going to do things a certain way. Okay, well, internalizing and ingesting all their ideas is going to take months. And then maybe we'll we'll do what we need to do. And so I think, I think uh, having been there for a year and having had an engineering background, I think in this particular case to our CEO, it looked like the lower risk approach. I already kind of know the job and I know the business. And so why, why go through that long process of bringing a new person on? I think on the risk side, of course, is, you know, when you have one person who has both of these jobs, if they leave, it's a little stressful because, you know, unless there's an amazing succession plan, because then you have to like fill Two both roles. of these jobs yeah, at one yeah, time yeah. or hire another CPTO, which is also It'd like, harder, which would be harder. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, that, I think that's why it's not common. Like, I think the benefits, if you have the right person for it are high because it streamlines a lot of things, but mm. boy, it takes, I think a fair amount of trust on a number of vectors to really do it. You yeah, know? definitely. And, and then, and then the hiring, I guess, for yourself to find other leaders around you to lead on behalf of you, I, how, how have you managed that? And, you know, from my experience, I think when you're close to the doing yep. and you're more attached to the execution, it's in some ways easier um, because you see directly exactly what people are executing on. The, the more that starts to roll away yep. and you can't really quantify like how people are going about it um, and you then set, set the goals, then you need to have trust that the people in those roles um, can actually organize people successfully underneath them, right? Yep. And yep. get them to execute really well and mm -hmm. measure the right things and set expectations and make sure they're very clear and make sure the metrics are very clear of what we're all looking at. And those qualities are quite hard um, to find and experience is hard to find. Have you found it challenging generally or do you think that the culture you're already within fostered that already and you had a lot of that defined? I'm a great believer in developing internal talent. And so, you know, I really have to be kind of hard pressed to hire somebody from outside in one of those leadership roles, just because I think, you know, people internal. one, I'll say I've been a huge beneficiary of that. You know, I started at Etsy originally as an individual contributor. Here I am a long time later, and I'm the CPTO of Depop, a company we bought. Like, you know, that's because Etsy chose to invest in it's, yeah. it's an internal people. At any point, they could have said, boy, we just need someone from outside for this job. And that would have been, you know, have, uh, you know I would have been stuck a little bit. So, so I think, uh, and a lot of people at Etsy kind of benefited in that way. And so I think, I feel the same way. You know, you get to know people, you know their capabilities. You know, even if they don't have every single thing they need for the job, you kind of know how to support them because you've been working with them. And so, yeah. you know, I think uh, really, uh, you know, I'm going to try and make sure I'm saying something true. I think the only person I really hired that was sort of at that kind of director, one level down from me level from outside uh, is our director of design and research. We just didn't have any internal candidates that were senior enough to step up into that role. And so she's great, fantastic. Uh, but uh, 
and uh, like I think you know has brought a lot of new fresh perspectives to the team. But by and large, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who says, boy, if we've got someone internally who we really think can do the job, we do that. So it's been a lot of internal promotion and kind of a. Uh, you know, seeing who was the most promising and then kind of betting on internal people. And, you know, and you know, like that kind of thing about can they lead other people? Are they, you know, are they really like a person who uh, who has kind of the right model of accountability, but also creates a like, you know, empowers their people and some of those other things. That's good, really, because I think, well, one, great for people <laughs> yeah. that like coming to the company. But I do think there's definitely something in when you're working with them, I guess, either consciously or subconsciously, you start to get to know their strengths yeah and you you observe i suppose over time like how good they are at communicating or you know how good they are at setting direction for people whether yeah. they were even even if they weren't responsible for doing so you'll see some like you'll see individuals start to take ownership and you then see that they've got things in them or they're learning things for themselves if you hire externally you're you've got to somehow do that in an interview process <laughs> yeah, which is a small sample it's a size really small sample size very small time yep. element yep. right yep. and you know and it's only really then when you actually get to work with them um as good as hiring might be and the good as, as you know and, and maybe this is like reflection of just me not knowing really good hiring process maybe there are yeah. ones out there but i do think it's really hard but all of them are pretty iffy i think you know yeah, it's just it's not a lot of time you know you spend time, spend yeah. a year with someone versus spending a day with them it's just or an hour like you might yeah. only talk to them for an hour it's hard and i think you know, I, I would say probably the senior, the single most important determinant of success for people is, you know, can they respond to feedback? Can they take on feedback and use it productively and stuff like that? And like, this is a thing that's really hard to learn in an interview. You learn it by working with someone. No one goes to an interview and says, boy, you know, I don't listen to feedback and I'm going to get mad at you if you tell me I could do things better. Yeah. You know, you find that out the hard way once you've hired them. You know, yeah, you find that out over time really working with people. And so, you know, I think, I think you know, if you, if you have people on your team and they're promising and you know they take on feedback, then, then like, okay, you feel safe betting on them that they can do more because they're going to adjust their approach based on feedback if it's not working right so yeah that's very good what how do you do like goal structuring then is there like do you use a framework okrs or like is it like kp general kpi system do you, have you adopted anything or do you i'm probably not the most like structured goals person but i guess what i am a big big believer in i think it's probably uh you know the most important thing for a product team is uh, some kind of North Star metric mm. with a driver tree, you know? And so you say, okay, for a marketplace, it's almost always how much business is transacted in the marketplace. We want to grow the marketplace. Okay, well, what ladders up to that? You know, do we need to be registering a lot more users? Do we need people to search successfully? You kind of build that whole driver tree up. Next thing down, you know, it's probably something like, you know, average purchase size, number of purchases, or like percent of sessions that lead to a purchase in sessions, let's say. Yeah. And we say, okay, well, then what drives sessions? What drives purchase size? What drives conversion rate or whatever? And then I think that lends itself to not only goal setting, but also uh, people understanding why their goals are what they are, because you can kind of see how they ladder up. So I think that's really important. And then, uh, and then kind of beyond that, uh, I think I like the O's in OKRs. Like I do think it's important to have measurable objectives, mm. but I think at least it, by the time I'm in this role, you know, uh, KRs are too detailed for me. Like if I'm messing with people's KRs, it's like yeah. too much. And so 
so the other, so as long as we have reasonable objectives that kind of ladder down, yeah, I can see the squad objectives, the kind of initiative objectives, and then and then the objectives at, at my level, the, the overall product and engineering, it tends to be fine. Uh, and then, you know, I'm big on autonomy. And so then it's like, okay, well, if we know what the driver tree is and we know what you're trying to drive and we know like what customer outcomes you're going to work on to help drive those out, to, to help drive those, then like you can do the goal setting in a finer grain than that in whatever way you want. It's not, it's not important to me. So if people want to do it at the director level, it's fine. If they want to do it at the team level, it's fine. Yeah, I'm uh, curious actually as, 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 uh, as your roles, but like at the top in some ways of the, of, of the, of the tree, like how detailed do you get on um, confidence building, I suppose, on all the things you've just said? Yeah. Like when you get to kind of, you know, the, the, the overall goal is so long. Yeah. Right? It's so time bound, right? So it's like, it's like a year maybe. Yep. So you can't focus on that every day. Right. So you need something that you can focus on. Yeah. Which is incremental, incremental towards the goal. Yep, yep. Um, do you try and like do you do do you just assume that people have worked out the incremental elements within the departments or do you want to get do you want assurance that they actually have worked out the incrementals because you want to know earlier um and you want to see that when we're kind of like reporting up and things like that yeah it's a it's it's a boy it's a complicated question right i think um I don't know, sometimes I like to joke around and say I try to keep myself on a starvation diet of status because, <laughs> because people put so much work. You know, if you say, boy, I really care about how you report things to me, people spend a lot of work. Like, we don't get paid for status reports. We get paid for making customer-facing changes. Yeah. So, so I don't ever want to be that distraction where it's like, boy, the most important thing in my job is how I report to my boss. Like, that's report things to my boss. I think that's bad. Uh, and so generally, um, you know, we, we launch most things as experiments, which I think is not uncommon in consumer marketplaces. And so I do look at the experiments and kind of think about them. I don't usually talk to people about all the experiments, but I at least kind of look at what's going on to make sure it makes sense. Um, and then we do, uh, we do quarterly planning. And so that's pretty deep. I look at all the, we, we don't have that many squads. We're not a huge company. I look at all the, I look at all the plans at kind of a squad level. And then uh, I give feedback, but you know, uh, and then the plans get finalized, and I barely look at them when they're finalized. I look at the first draft, give my feedback, and then assume that they'll make the right revisions, and you know we'll find out next quarter. If it, and, and people generally are really good. You know, I think I've had, I guess I've had really good luck with autonomy, and so, mm. so you know, I want the, you know, I want to make sure that what we're doing goal wise overall aligns with what we're trying to do for the long term, and uh, and uh, have some sense that the quarterly plans uh, are reasonable and and uh, and. Uh, you know, look like they'll add up to success, and then yeah, mostly beyond that, I kind of uh, trust people to either uh, to either you know do things that make sense or kind of reach out to me. I'm I try to be super available, and so if people are like, boy, I don't know if what we're going to do works. Like I like to be asked, but yeah, yeah, you want to be you want to be wanted, I suppose. <laughs> right, right, yeah, not like, not like, uh, not like yeah. needed. <laughs> yeah, I want to be wanted, not needed. Absolutely, yeah, if you're I needed. There's something going wrong here. Where you're like, okay, yeah. this is not working out. Well. Yeah, it's a little stressful to be needed. Yeah, exactly. You're not really setting people up for autonomy. I yeah. guess at that point, you've always needed. I was just curious around it though, because I think um, even for yourself as an individual, like you naturally, when you're trying to work out um, direction, you in yourself need information as well yep so there is a there's a natural need to have data yep and you might ask slightly different questions potentially because you're kind of like forecasting out yeah yeah uh, maybe than other people are um, yeah. yeah and 
it's quite challenging to be able to do that when you've got inhibited views. You yeah. Know, you, can't, you can't quite see the things you kind of need to see. So it's like, I suppose you can go off and do your own like silent bit of discovery where you're like, I don't want to look like I'm, yeah. I don't want to ask people to like, I need this information, you go and give it to me. But um, but I'm more, more the need for the information that can kind of inform your direction and strategy that you may be aiming for longer term. Yeah, no, I think for sure. And I think, you know, we have an analytics team and we do, we have like a quarterly initiative check-in where we kind of have all the numbers all the way down. Nice. You know, we, um, I don't, you know, we have a, a, a sort of system where we launch our experiments into a holdout uh, or, or we have a holdout that doesn't see our experiments. And so you can kind of see the sum of everything we do experimentally, you know, how it all impacts things together over a few months. And so there's a lot of signal on kind of like, is our stuff working for sure? And I definitely yeah. pay a lot of attention to it. As you uh, already have that in place, I guess, to then... Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's already something you've got something. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, to, for sure. Yeah, 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 at, yeah. So, so you know, I think, I think, uh, I do look at that. I do look at the product analytics data quite a lot. You know, I have a dashboard and some of these other things, and uh, and uh, talk to folks about that. You know, and I think it's a little bit you know different when I work with my direct reports that that you know, uh, you know, we we talk about like, hey, are the numbers doing what we want to do? You know, or you know, how do we think these teams are doing? So there's a lot of. Uh, like informal chat. I'm a, I'm a huge one-on-one person. Like I'm a big believer in the kind of ongoing conversation. Uh, and, and figuring it out together almost. Yeah. yeah. Figuring it out together. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I talk to the individual PMs a fair amount too, not to like tell them what to do, but just kind of talk about what's going on and hear what their ideas are, whatever it doesn't seem to annoy them too much. So, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, and you mentioned before though, when you were taking over te the technology side and obviously that now being the biggest, pool of individuals in the organization yeah, yeah. um and then we kind of at the beginning of the podcast i've mentioned like productivity developer yep. productivity yeah i don't know the, i don't know the size of what is the size of developers i think there are 150 people in engineering roughly you know probably it's like a quarter of them are managers so you know maybe maybe you know 100 110 engineers something like that how have you found that aspect where you know in some ways you've got on one hand you've got your your data right you've got yep. like are the ideas we're coming up with working yes how yes. are consumers like interfacing with like some of the new features that we're shipping and like and on the other hand you then have like almost like the execution element behind it which yeah is like, okay this is completely different in some ways on like how do i understand and measure what's going on over here is that been have you put things in place have you, is it like, how's it working for you i guess what, what, yeah so it's really funny Maybe I'll tell a little story about the like my first foray into kind of like productivity when I when I got this job, uh, and 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 this I kind of took this from Etsy, you know, experiment velocity. Are we running is are we running a lot of experiments? Are are, are the teams running them? Like pretty common kind of like product productivity metric or whatever. Yeah. And and you know I was like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna run a lot of experiments I think it's important and so I got there and. Uh, Turns out we were using this old kind of internal framework, uh, and you couldn't run that many experiments because it was hard. I was like, okay, but they had already bought Optimizely, and so they were rolling out Optimizely, and like, I was like, great, let's start using Optimizely. Well, the Optimizely data wasn't right. There was some kind of data quality issue, so Optimizely was all wrong. That took a few months. Then it was 
people didn't really know how to use Optimizely very well because it was new to them. And so, and so like there were all these impediments to just having, you know, to really using the tooling, you know? Yeah. And so, and so it wasn't a very good metric and, and it, it helped to kind of focus on it because it, it got us through that whole process. And probably at the end of my first year, we're like, okay, we can really use Optimizely well. We had a new CEO. We're going to set like an aggressive experiment velocity goal uh, for the year. And so everybody's like, got it, run lots of experiments. And so we did run lots of experiments, but they weren't great. I mean, some of them were really good. Some of them were just like, you know, people broke up their project into more smaller things so they could run more experiments so because what did I tell them? Run lots of experiments. And it's like, okay, well, this isn't exactly what, and, and the engineers, I think, completely validly were like, why are we running all these meaningless experiments? They're, <laughs> you know, hard to clean up and, and uh, some of these other things. And so, and so on one hand, I would say, boy, that, that wasn't so great because, uh, you know, not, you know, it wasn't, I would say it was not like the optimal amount for what we were trying to do. But I think on the other hand, it was a little bit like picking up a new exercise regime. We got the reps in. Yeah. And so <laughs> at the end of Q1, I was like, we're running plenty of experiments. You don't need to worry about this metric anymore. <laughs> you know, let's focus on better hypotheses and some of these other things. And I think, and I think like, you know, I, I bring that up because, uh, you know, when you talk about these productivity metrics, it's a little bit of a be careful what you ask for situation. Yeah. If you tell people you're going to measure something a certain way, they will do their very best to, to like succeed based on this measurement. And so if that measurement doesn't really tie to success, it's a problem. So, so, or yeah, you just, it's, it leads to wasted time. Um, so when I got there, we had Code Climate. Uh, are we naming names? And, and Code Climate is a perfectly good tool. You can see lots of information in there. But boy, I struggled to get any meaning from it. You know, yeah. like, like, you know, I could see how many pull requests people made and how long pull requests were open and how many, you know, how much code was new and how much was rewritten and blah, 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 and all those other things. But, uh, but uh, you know, those turned out to be it just, you know, that didn't tell me. And I didn't look at the individual, individual engineer level, but, like, it didn't tell me very much about how productive the engineering team was. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, and, and I think uh, more recently we have – I think we've got – we've brought in DX uh, and the survey based approach I think has worked pretty well. You know, we've, we've kind of hit the target 90 plus percent plus people filling it out. Uh, and I know when I first took over as, as uh, <laughs> the CTO part of the job, I talked to a bunch of people to say like, what could we be doing better that would really speed things up? You know, and there's like something brittle, certain kind of automated tests were very brittle and it was hard. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is a thing. I know it's a thing. And it showed up in the very first DX survey is the number one thing. And I was like, oh, if we had had DX, I wouldn't have had to have all these conversations. Um, <laughs> you know, so what, what is DX? Sorry, do, do you want to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. What is DX? Yeah. So DX is, um, is basically, uh, it's almost like an engagement survey or an internal survey tool, but really for developer experience questions. Yeah. So, and I think. You know, a lot of these kind of survey solutions, you write the questions, but the nice thing about DX is they write the questions based on actual research. And so I think it actually, actually uh, unearths things. So it's, it's a. Uh, so the data you're going to get back is way more informed because of the line of questioning you're going to ask. Exactly. As exactly. To you trying to figure out what the right questions are. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. What should we ask people? Like, is it easy enough to deploy code into production? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, have, they have good questions. Uh, and, and so I think there are two things. One, I think DX is a good product, they have good questions and it's set up well. But I think the other part of it is just in a systemic way asking engineers what would make their jobs better. Yeah. You know, and I think I think, you know, they know engineers know what what makes their job harder than it needs to be. And so really having that discipline of every few months asking people what could be better about about their job, you know, the answers are useful. And so so I find that Do you know you, I'm very curious about that. Yeah. Because you come from a product background, obviously asking users 
And so when you're in product, you do ask the users yeah. as well as you use the data. So you've got yep. like qualitative, qualitative and quantitative yep. like data points. Um, did you in instantly, when you then were looking at technology, did you almost like treat it slightly differently just because you were looking at it differently? Or did you actually treat it in the same way naturally where you just like, well, I suppose I need to ask people. That's probably the quickest way to find out. Or, it's it's yeah. so funny. I think this is where like being an engineer doesn't always help me out, you know, because, you know, I think I have that, you know, like I'm suspicious of surveys vibe. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't like surveys. I like looking what millions of people do and graphing their behavior and, so you know, correlating it all yeah, yeah. And run the statistics and, yeah. you know, look, we have a statistically significant proof that when you do this, more people send offers to other people like that's proof. And it's like, well, we could go talk to some people and ask them what makes it hard. And I'm like, yeah, but I can see what millions of people do like that's yeah. what counts for me and and i think you know it's like and so like i do have that little bit of that bias where it's like it's not graphable maybe it doesn't count um and i think and i think uh uh you know so it was a little bit of a revelation to me and and i had seen like you know probably simpler less sophisticated systems not provide that much value you know the kind of like nps score you know yeah how likely are you to recommend PHP to other developers. Like, okay. <laughs> this is really the question, you know. And so, so I think, I think, you know, the the combination of like, uh, you know, the sort of better survey, and then like really uh, having good luck getting very broad participation. The other problem with surveys is not everybody fills them out. But if you've gotten ninety plus percent of people to fill them out, you know, it's. And a, did you did you good. get all that amount of mm -hmm. people? Mm -hmm. wow, that's really good, actually. And I think that's the first two times we did it, we really tried very hard as a leadership team to kind of write a report back to the engineering team about what we learned from the survey and action some of the things that they brought up so they don't immediately feel like, okay, great, we went to the trouble to fill out the survey and it was a big waste of time. So yeah. we kind of are trying to make it two-way and show that it, and actually, one, it really does affect our decision-making, but then kind of really demonstrate that it affects our decision-making, that's important. So uh, then have you not put any other systems in place to, like, is it totally qualitative that you will look at generally speaking is in that's well i suppose even it's not it's not necessarily it has to be the only thing but it might be one the one you prioritize the most yeah i mean the and it, it's not quite the only thing but but it's not far from the only thing i think they do have a kind of data warehouse component to you can look at other things but uh but uh you know i think i think kind of between the survey and uh and uh you know the other kind of planning we do on the engineering side you know i think I think that just about does it, you know, I think, and, and what it is an answer, I think the big topic that's going around right now is like, how productive is, are your engineers in aggregate? How productive is engineer A versus engineer B? And, you know, I think our ability to measure that stuff is, you know, really, really, really limited. You know, I think, I think, you know, and I think a lot of that gives people a false sense of security, but it's not really, it's not really a thing I could go on at length about why I don't think that it is. I remember I'll maybe tell one short story. I remember when I was a line manager, I was like managing a team of engineers and I was talking to an engineer. He was like maybe ju a junior engineer, a mid engineer. And he asked me a question in our one-on-one -on -one. we were taking a walk and he said, am I getting better as a programmer? And I said, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I don't read all of your pull requests. Yeah. Even if I read them, I would not have the context and the memory to know that you are getting better as a programmer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know I can tell you're getting better at getting things done. Maybe I can tell that you're getting better as a communicator, but at programming, like, that's a tough one. In the end, I said, like, 
do you think the code you wrote six months ago is good? And he was like, not really. And I was like, okay, you're probably getting better as a programmer. <laughs> you know, that's, that's about as close as I could get. So it just turns out to be, you know, I think not an easy question and we should yeah. trivialize it, you know? I do understand. I mean, I, I can kind of see both sides from, it's like you were saying, there's a high, from a business perspective, oh, it's yeah. the majority of the organization, you know? Yep. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's got a high cost. Yeah. To it, so you can understand the incentivization for like, especially hundred percent CEO's perspective. Like, how can we maximize? I mean, if it were a factory and you had a bunch of machines that assembled cars, you'd want to know if all the machines were assembling cars effectively, yeah. <laughs> or if some of the machines were amazing at building cars and some of them were not good. Yeah. Like, this, this is the unit of work for a technical, uh, you know, for for a lot of companies these days. And so, the desire to know, I one hundred percent get, but uh, but once you start <laughs> to measure it, when, yeah. when it gets to productivity, once you've decided on that being the measurement, it's already the wrong measurement. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. it, you're then, like you would say about um, the experiments, it's a, once everyone thinks yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they're getting measured by, it totally shifts. It's going to distort their behavior. Yeah, it totally distorts everything, yeah. yeah, so yeah. It then becomes a really difficult thing to ever really measure anything in, in, yep. in, a, in, in the right sense, other than probably, I do agree, probably asking. And then door is reasonably good. Yep. Um, just as like a general I think so. principle to kind of have in place. But I think when you start to get really granular and like yeah. pull requests, but then is that quality just because you did more yeah. doesn't mean yeah. it was better, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. I think it's it's one of those things where I think maybe it's an 80-20 thing. 80% of it is understanding Dora and 20% of it is measuring it properly. You know, and so change failure rate, is that important? Sure, you know, do you need to measure it? No, you just need to kind of know that like if you have a lot of change failures, yeah, it's, you're probably in trouble or, yeah. you know, ability, how quickly can you get code into production? Really important. You know, as long as it's kind of like fast enough, do you really need to measure it? You know, maybe if yeah. it, maybe if it, you know, and I, because I think even Dora, which I think is really a good framework, you know, some of the metrics are easy to measure, but some of them are pretty hard. You have to put a fair amount of work to really be able to measure yeah. them with confidence. I don't know how many people are really doing that, no, you know? know. Not just out the box. It's not like you just like have the dashboard out the box and you kind of- Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also sometimes, I mean, it's hard to quantify the impact anyway and all those things. I think they're very yeah. healthy. It means that your team's doing well, generally speaking, like you're deploying yeah. more frequently, the things you're deploying aren't failing very often, like right, you know, right, right, as, right. as a construct of like a good set of disciplines. Yep, it means your teams m must be doing something right. If, but at the same time, the impact to the business on those things is then harder to quantify. And so, I don't know if it's the right incentivization. Um, they're good principles to measure because it tells about the quality of what you're doing. But yep. then I think, how do you then measure the impact that those things are really having? Is then much tougher. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yep. As a, as a business, so no, I totally agree. How 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 would you then? Because you're bridging two, you might not even have the answer. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm just I'm just curious, but um, as you are also defining the um, the direction for product, and therefore you have an understanding of the impact that you want this to have to the business, can you legitimately quantify? the impact that the engineers are having in a more quantifiable way in relation to the business? Um, you know, it's, it's a good question. And I think, I think, you know, yes and no, because, because for sure, so for sure, like I could say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example from my, my job at Etsy, you know, I managed the ads team. It had probably 20, 25 engineers on it. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, 
ads, you, you know, you can look at, at Etsy's financial results. Ads make a big up a big portion of the revenue. And so, you know, I think at one point, you know, the amount of revenue was, uh, allocated to an engineer on the ads team was like 14 times higher than any other team. Mm. You know, and so you'd say, boy, these people, they're really making a lot of money for the company. But the truth is that, like, you could have taken all the engineers off the ads team and taken engineers off of other teams. They also would have made 14 times the money. Now, of course, the people who are on there, they're, they're really, really good engineers on the team. That's nothing about them. But, like, in some ways, engineering is engineering, and it's mm-hmm. kind of up to the management how we, how we kind of, like, allocate the portfolio. Now, maybe in roles, you can say, okay, you're a data scientist who's really good and makes your search a lot better. More often than not, will create more value than, you know, an engineer in some other role. Uh, but the other part of it is like, okay, let's say you have the world's greatest data scientist, but your search systems won't stay up or you don't have an app or a website to host your search thing on or, or, or all these other things. Like, and so if you really try and do this attribution of revenue to engineers, like, you know, what you wind up is devaluing this work that's like foundational to the whole company. And so, so I try not to play that game too, too much. You know, I think I tell people, yeah. I was curious to know if, if, if there was like a, 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 you know, a general way that not necessarily just for the business side but also for the engineers mm. because it's it gives you purpose for you you feel like you've got more purpose yeah if you can tangibly see the result of which you've driven yep, even as yep, a team yep, yep um and if the if you know that the business in truth like all businesses the the, the biggest impact you can have is on revenue yeah, um, yeah. like that's like the like the, the creme de la creme that matters to a company probably yeah. the most you know in the end yeah um then it is quite motivating if you know you can kind of do it at the same time though what you don't want to do is incentivize it as being the most important right thing, right um right. to like oh this is the most important thing you need to measure how yeah. do we attach what you're doing to this thing i think that's maybe the wrong motivation yep um but to get people to feel like yeah yeah i managed to do that like i had that impact that's really positive yeah Um, yeah yeah i think i think it is hard and i think by and large you know and maybe this goes you know like i'm a very big team person and so you know i think like you know as a team we all have one growth goal you know and everybody contributes their part to it and and uh you know it's a portfolio and so you know i understand that some people are working on things that you know you don't measure them in gmb and uh, uh, that's sales basically in a marketplace yeah. uh you know we don't measure that in an a b test you know you're doing these other things but like it's not it's not inherently less valuable and it kind of all has to work together which i think because i think kind of the downsides of that like you know i think i want people to be motivated but not internally competitive I think yeah. that's, you know, like I'm on the good team that does good things and I'm on the, you know, you should want, everyone should want their team to be good and effective. But I think, but I think like I've seen too many, you know, like painful outcomes from internal competition. People become less cooperative or, or, you know, they, they feel like, you know, they have to change jobs because they're not on the right team or blah, blah, blah. Like these things are all kind of like bad outcomes of that internal competition. And so I think goals and aspiring to like deliver for our customers are really important. I also think, at the end of the day, more than driving the numbers, you know, we should be focused on driving great outcomes for whoever our customers are. You yeah, know, if you're right. if you're on a platform team, like you want the product engineers to be feel super productive and like they're yeah. well supported. And if you work on search, you want people who search to love the search experience. And like a side effect is you get more money. That's great. But I think like we're making a, a really awesome product, yeah, whatever that is. Great. That's a much better motivator. Yeah. 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 The bottom line. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Um, that's great. Obviously, I, I, I'm super, super interested. Is there, um, how do people find out if they want to kind of reach out to kind of pick your brains on things? Or like, oh, yeah, yeah. Is there a way to get in touch with you? And uh, You know, the best one these days surprises me as much as anyone is LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I answer my LinkedIn messages and, and post there fairly And regularly. how would they find your LinkedIn? What's oh, it? Rafe Colburn is my name. You can just search for it. Yeah. It's a relatively, right. it's, <laughs> in, it's a relatively unique name, yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been uh, it's been great chatting about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. I've loved the conversation. Yeah. Really, really fun to talk about this stuff. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>